I don't. I uh, unexpected means you don't expect it. If you put it on an itinerary, it is not unexpected. It's very much expected. What? What? I I I don't want to be a pedant, but like. Welcome to Chapel Belker, Stats Focus podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And we're back after a short hiatus because this past weekend mattered for, I guess, qualitative reasons. All the good, feely good things, you know, the Charleston Southern game. We didn't do a preview for you. We're going to do a bit of a review today, but it's really not going to be the bulk of the episode. We're going to kind of combine today's episode with a little bit of, you know, a Georgia Tech preview as we, we all prepare our minds and our bodies for the next weekend truly which is the sec championship game which we're all very excited about and i hope that you're excited about it too but you know we'll we'll run through kind of what our experience was over the weekend because there were a lot of really cool fun fuzzy warm feeling things that happened over the weekend and i would really love to hear you know your celebrity sighting experiences nathan and how you touched uh, Jordan Davis, I think, on his shoulder, perhaps. Or, you know, just kind of the things that yeah. went on over the weekend. Tell us about all the good, feely things that you did. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, it was... It, it, it can be tough, a game like this, because, you know, the outcome's not really in doubt. But I did, it was a very good experience. Last time in Sanford Stadium for a lot of people, seniors in the band, seniors, you know, cheerleaders. And that was really cool well, as band members, you know, so... Had a really good, uh, really, really, really good battle hymn solo from Maggie, who is a senior soloist who went to Carrollton, actually, where I went, um, the battle hymn soloist this week. And I thought pregame went really well. Uh, the we halftime show, we did the Armed Forces salute show that we do every year. I think it's the the show closest to Veterans Day. And we it was conducted this day by our on Saturday by one of our TAs, Gilbert, who was uh, was in the Marines. So he had his like dress blues on or whatever. And it was very impressive. And Gilbert's a super cool guy, so shout out Gilbert. Uh, and then after the after the game, of course, we had the big Jordan Davis thing. So I guess I can like talk about how oh. it happened and came together now for the first time. So <clears throat> I kinda knew that we were gonna do something for Jordan Davis like a while ago, like in September. Um, and by kind of knew, I mean, I absolutely knew, but I sort of sworn <laughs> to secrecy on it. Cause it was one of those things where like, if it didn't work out, you didn't want anybody to say anything like if it doesn't work. And I know there were some like NIL concerns, like if you're giving him a gift or whatever, like what, how does that, how do you, you know, just running it through NCAA compliance or whatever. So we got the clearance to do it. And, um, the way it broke down from my end was that I had to be the, I was the one who was running the soundboard because we had to have it mic'd so that like Dr. Bauckham, who was the band director could read the plaque and say like Jordan Davis's honorary red coat and hand him the jacket or whatever. And so <clears throat> we, um, at about at coming back from halftime, about halfway through the third quarter, I went with the props crew the, the talented and lovely props crew, the Red Coat Band, and we got half of our sound system, this like three or four giant carts worth of stuff, and set it up at the bottom of the uh, band. And it is legitimately the most nervous. That was legitimately the most nervous I've been this year at any game, which mm-hmm. I guess really says something about how the season is going. Because 
I knew that we had to have this mic right and that we were going to look like buffoons if the mic didn't look right or work right or if it sounded bad or if it like messed up. So by the time like this, the by the time the game was over, I had a wireless mic, a backup wireless mic, and then a wired mic. And I had just the wireless mic, the first wireless mic turned on. And I had like an extra person there to hand him the second wireless mic if the first one didn't work. And then another <laughs> person to run the wired mic over if that didn't work. And so it all went off without a hitch, despite all my fretting and the fact that I like checked the settings a thousand times and went through like 10 times to see if everything was plugged in. And then on the way out, Davis, Jordan got, um, we're not on a first name basis, but he got down <laughs> off of the podium. It was a really beautiful scene. I'm sure everyone's seen the video by now. And if you haven't, you should, you should look. We made him an honorary red coat. Only the second honorary red coat ever. The only other one is Tom Jackson, who was the voice of the red coat band. It's a real, real honor. We give him a plaque and... We had a uh, uh, the we had a, the band had a red coat jacket made for him. Uh, we had to get his jacket size from Pernos, where he last wore a tuxedo, and kind of estimate. And then we had it special ordered and made at a factory, a uniform factory, where they basically had to like shut down production on everything else and run it through in like seventy two hours. Just the <laughs> one jacket. That's um, outstanding. And. Yeah, and so the jacket number, if, you, if you're not in marching band, uniform jacket numbers are, uniform jackets all have numbers on them, and his uniform jacket number is 99, and it's like in our database as 99, it's like the 199 in the database now. Um, and so we, we got the jacket for him, but he couldn't put it on because he had his pads, right? And I guess he didn't realize that we were like giving it to him, so he was walking away as the band director was kind of chasing him with the jacket. <laughs> so I had to stop him. Um <clears throat> So like, so he would take the jacket. So like, I I was like, hey, this that jacket's for you. And he was like, what? And I was like, hey, the, the jacket's for you. And I like put my hand on his shoulder, and then I had this like moment where I was like, this man is so much bigger than me. <laughs> and I know that that's like obvious and stupid, but like you have to understand in my life, it's rare that I am truly outsized classed. Mm-hmm. Like true, like like I see people who are taller than me sometimes. I see people who are wider than me sometimes, but just like it is rare that I meet someone who I would fit inside of the outline of them in like every dimension. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. like I am both narrower and shorter and thinner front to back than that person. That dude is built like freaking Thanos. It is unreal. <laughs> um, it was, but it was very cool. He clearly got emotional up on the stand. I don't know if he was crying, but he had like a little like he, there was a catch in his voice. Um, Jordan Davis, my fellow redcoat, someone I am proud to call a fellow redcoat who um, I don't know. I mean, in the history of the band, I don't know if there's been a player that's like more important to the band than Jordan is to us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I this is all sort of discombobulated because like truly I am someone who is pretty laconic a lot of the time in public and i had a if there's a video of me online seeing him and i have a look of true happiness like a very stupid smile on my face uh-huh. it's truly like a really uplifting and powerful moment and i'm i was so happy to have been there and uh yeah but jordan has just been such a good guy to us and like you know win or lose at these sec championship games or these sugar bowl games or he always comes over and says hello to the band. He comes over and talks to people. Like it's just such a he's such a cool dude, and I'm so glad that we could do this for him. Like yeah. he's the only player who during the dog walk he doesn't have headphones on. <laughs> he puts his headphones up. He has these big like the big over ear headphones, and he puts them up on his he- the sides of his head, 
and listens to us play. It's like, come on, man. Like that guy, I, I would like Jordan Davis. If Jordan Davis murdered someone, there are like 450 random people who would, would be like, what are we doing? How are we getting rid of this body? Like that is the level of devotion and love for him. Like it's a big deal. They would question yeah, themselves dude. and consider victim blaming for a moment. Yeah. It would be like, well, he's such a beautiful human that there's no way that person didn't deserve it. Yeah. They probably gonna... deserved it. <clears throat> so yeah, it was a really cool experience. Jordan Davis is our King. Uh, it was a cool moment for us because, you know, I mean, it, it's cool when, you know, it's obviously good, like publicity for us, but it's cool even more than that for like a good person to get the acknowledgement that they deserve, you know, for mm-hmm. what they've done. All right. So I'm going to stop babbling. It was, it was a pretty <laughs> cool weekend and I'm still, I'm still honestly like pretty jacked up about it and I'm trying, You're trying to be cool. Uh, I'm trying to stop gushing about it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> How I, was your, what was your experience? Uh, well, it was a Thanksgiving weekend, honestly. And so there wasn't a whole lot of, there was plenty of football. I will say, I mean, uh, had to drive for most of it. So I got to enjoy that on the radio, which was really nice. Drive, uh, out to the Gwinnett area to go, you know, visit with Anna's family and, and do Thanksgiving with them. And, um, it was not a big day for chaos. I will say in regards to other teams, uh, out in the world. But, uh, you know, Oregon lost, and that was a pretty wild time. I We watched football on and off for the rest of the day other than this game. But it was really cool to kind of just see the Jordan Davis touchdown, just kind of a, like a nod towards him and to, to give him an opportunity to do something like that. Uh, it was a great day just to kind of spread the ball around. Um, this team is super dangerous, uh, and I think they're they're peaking at the right moment, it feels like, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, our last episode when when you begrudgingly said, we're going to say some nice things about Stetson Bennett, I felt like that was very much... Uh, this is one of those games where we, we, we really leaned into that, I feel. Like, we could say a lot of nice things about Stetson Bennett for this game as well. Um, yeah, but overall, it was just a pretty... It was just a fun game. I think it was really cool. Uh, I think it, it showed a lot about where the programs come from. And I think that one takeaway for me for this game specifically is that I think it's possible to be really good and also care about your players in a way that is meaningful and impactful for them that will last after they leave. And I think that showed in this game because a lot of people try to compare Kirby to, to Coach Mark Richt. It's really easy to do that because they're back-to-back coaches and everybody really loved Mark Richt and said, such a great guy and he develops young men and et cetera, et cetera. I think this was a game where you could say Kirby does that too and he is leading the number one mm-hmm. team in the nation. And and I think that that showed he, in this game. He almost got ran over by the band because he spent so much time and he we were never going to run him over. We were just going to hold pregame. But he spent so much time talking to all the senior parents that the senior, the senior ceremony went over time. It was very sweet. <laughs> That was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this was a neat game. It, I, yeah, it just felt good to, to be a fan of this team and be part of this community for this game. And it, it showed in, I think in this way in a lot of different ways, but is there anything that we really want to talk about from what the stats could show us? Is there anything meaningful we could kind of <coughs> look at that we might be able to, you know, uh, apply to future well, games? I would, I mean, Okay. Stetson Bennett. Okay, I got. I got. I'm trying to like control what I say about this. Stetson Bennett. Obviously, he is the quarterback. I have. I know this is like a weird conspiracy theory on my part, but I really do think Stetson's going to keep starting. But I think 
that Kirby is trying to give JT the opportunity to take back the game or just take the spot back. Not trying, but it's, I think the door is more open than people think. Let me put it that way. Uh, Stetson against, you know, I mean, look, it's covered up in the score and I, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal, but Stetson had some bad passes, right? He, yeah. Stetson had some moments where he, you know, he didn't, he didn't look accurate, you know? And I, and I'm not, I don't necessarily think that, uh, I don't necessarily think that he's going to lose the job, but I do think that, you know, he just didn't look crisp in the first couple of drives and JT didn't look perfect, but he's looking more and more crisp. And I, and I think there will come a moment and it might not be until like, if we are losing a game and it might not come at all, but I think that J that I don't think that this quarterback thing is over yet. And I, it would not shock me to see JT Daniels getting some more run. That doesn't mean that Stetson's not going to be the starter for the rest of the year. I mean, I'm sure he, she, he probably is if he were going to hand handicap it, but, um, I also think that he's, I think he just doesn't look he doesn't look as accurate as he should have playing against let's be honest like a scrub team. It's true. Yeah. I mean I think we we discussed this in the, one of the past episodes about how I think that this receiver core does do some cleaning up for Stetson when he doesn't necessarily deliver on the level that we would want say an elite quarterback to I hate saying an elite quarterback, but an elite quarterback would deliver on. And so I I think that that's true. It's that that does show in these quote unquote scrub games where it should just be plainly obvious to see that this team that we're playing is completely outclassed in every way. And it did in a big way, obviously from the score. Uh, but if you dig a little bit deeper into perhaps where uh, those balls landed and how he targeted and what receivers maybe had to do in order to actually catch certain balls, you might see a little bit more of it didn't look as clean and crisp as it could have been. So I think that's very true. However, as you're saying, He's not getting replaced until there's a good reason to replace him. And that's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I and I think, you know, he always says, Kirby says over and over again, who practices best, who practices best. And, I, and it sounds like coach speak, but I do continue to think that it's kind of like, you know, he is still giving JT the opportunity to take the, I think the opportunity is still there. But you're right. There has to be a reason for it to happen. And I think if Stetson looks as not crisp as he did against Georgia Tech, which I doubt he will. It was a 12 o'clock game against the nobody team. But if he does, I do think that it might – we might see a change. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of JT, we saw four quarterbacks on Saturday. What, is there anything that we want to kind of talk about there? Is there anything that you saw that was exciting? I know Brock wasn't in very long. That's kind of what we were um, excited about seeing. <laughs> while watching it where we were watching it from it's really hard to take any to take too much away from it honestly Mm -hmm. um he's you know i i think i've heard that brock is maybe having a a real like steep learning curve on being a college quarterback so i really don't think that there's much to take away from it gotcha well i mean there's not a whole lot more to take away from that we can slowly segue into a gt preview what do you say about that yeah let's do it uh i will tell you i will tell people before we start uh what what you're i'm laughing about your very first note on the georgia tech preview and oh, you yeah, said sorry, i'm sorry. gonna tell you and it sounded like you were segueing right into this note that just says no, we're gonna win no. this game <laughs> yeah look here's the thing 
there's not a lot to say about this game. Georgia Tech, they have they have some good players individually, uh, but they just don't have any consistency on offense, and their their defense is garbage. Is actual hot garbage. Their uh-huh. offense has been explosive in the past. Jeff Sims is their quarterback, who is pretty. They have a pretty good quarterback. He has sixty percent completion percentage on the year. Uh, 12 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, not great. He's taken 11 sacks, uh, 139 rating average. You know, they have their biggest running back is Jameer Gibbs, 141 tips on 745 yards, average of 5.3. That's pretty good. They they get a little bit explosive in the uh, uh, offensively, but A, they, they give up way too many sacks, and B, their, their defense is just garbage. They are a very, they are not, they give up way too many explosive plays. They don't block well. They don't tackle well. Um, this is a game that we predict that UGA will win by about 28 points per, I think, our last model that I looked at, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I I think that we probably won't cover the spread because I think the spread is like 40 right now or something. But I do think that this is a team that we're going to just physically manhandle. I I do question, like, if I, I was looking uh, a little bit earlier at the Winsipedia, and let me let me pull that back up. Uh-huh. So, if you think about this like rivalry, it's been very one sided. Yeah, obviously, but it's also been one sided. It, it's been in particular one sided uh, in the last hold on, in the last few years. And so, like, I actually question like, like I, I think this team is so good that yeah, they're going to be ready and they're going to. They're going to do what they need to do and come out to win. Uh, but the last time this 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 that UGA lost to uh, Georgia Tech was in Athens uh, in Mark Rick's second to last. Or no, no, sorry, was in Kirby Smart's first year in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, I is there any anybody from that team that is on this team now that has actually lost to Georgia Tech? Uh. Because we didn't play them last year. It's been four years since we lost to them. I'm you know, sure there's um, somebody. There's got to be somebody, I'm sure. But maybe nobody that but is it's, they're, like, they're not, necessarily like a notable Julian name. Rochester maybe was on that team. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's – I just – I don't think that this is the same kind of like absolute slobber knocker. These two teams don't like each other or they at least know each other well. And so there's kind of, kind of like familiarity breeds contempt kind of thing. Frankly, these two teams were both not recruited at the same level. The players on these teams, they might know each other and they might be friends, but it, this is not something where it was like Georgia and Georgia Tech were going head-to-head for a lot of these guys because Georgia Tech hasn't beaten Georgia uh, in recruiting a lot of the time. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even trying to pile on Georgia Tech right now. It's just like I don't know how much this rivalry means to the actual guys on the f- on the field. Now, Georgia Tech gets a little punchy and you know starts to win, then maybe it will. And now I will say... That, you know, as we saw in the George Pickens incident, uh, this team, Georgia Tech team, has historically been a little bit yippy. They've a little, little bit. They have kind of small dog. They have a little bit of small dog syndrome. And so that might get under someone's skin. Hopefully no one gets hurt. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully also George Pickens doesn't, like, pile drive someone's head into a cement wall again. <laughs> but I... I, I don't know how much like real for like real acrimony there is to, between these two teams in terms mm-hmm. of history. 
Uh, UGA has won 68 times in this matchup. Uh, Georgia Tech has won 41 times. This game was basically played from the inception of these two fo- two teams football programs first played in 1893. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna beat this team, and you know the question is more by how much and whether or not it is close or not, which I don't think it will be. It will not be. I just think that there's, I don't, I just think there's a really big talent gap between these two teams. Like, okay. So just to give you some sort of like to help you sort of range find in why I know that this is not typically something that you hear from me, like this, like this level of confidence against a rival, but like, I just want to give you guys some like sort of like, we don't have to use our, if you don't trust our ratings, we don't have to use our ratings. So like, Let's look at SP+. Currently, Georgia's number one in SP+. Uh, their overall rating is 32.3. They're 32 points better than the average team. Uh, Georgia Tech is currently 85th. They are negative 2.7 uh, points below an average team. Dang. So this is about a 34-point game in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, as SP+, sees it. SP+, has them at the 72nd, 72nd ranked offense the 105th ranked special teams and the 94th ranked defense uh, just by like, so at 85th, they're 85th in the nation per SP plus. So just by comparison, uh, currently South Carolina, 71st, Arkansas is 36, right? Like UAB. How about that? 53rd. Wolf. So this is, this is a team that is ranked 20 spots below UAB. This might be the second worst team we've played this year. Outside of Charleston, so ah. <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna beat the the paint off of these guys' helmets, and it's not because uh, I mean it's just basically recruiting. I think Kobe mm-hmm. Smart is a better coach than Jeff Collins, but he doesn't even need to be. We could run the freaking veer, and we would beat these guys. Man now man. we got to come out. We got to we, we got to show up and you know do what we need to do and take care of business. And I get it, like the, anything can happen, but like the chances of this team. Get having the like things have to go really, really wrong for us to yeah. lose this team. This ain't it. This ain't the game that we lose. <laughs> like, I mean, two years ago, they completely switched what Georgia Tech does. Like, until what is it, two or three years ago, they were still running the triple option as their main offense. And so they've only just yeah. begun recruiting for this change of offense. In fact, they probably still have players that were part of that old team who have n- had to completely relearn everything they started learning with this team and well, so yeah, in, it, there's a lot going on yeah they're in they're in uh they're yeah i think they're in year four uh or something like that mm-hmm. so currently uh georgia tech is recruiting wise they're fifth in the acc which is not great they are mm-hmm. 22nd overall in the class the 24 7 class rankings they finished uh, 2021 ranking recruiting wise. They finished 2021. Whoa, whoa, Lord, oh Lord, outside of the top 50. Oh no, 48th, right? So they just finished 2020. I think even lower than that. So Jeff Collins can recruit a little bit. Like top 25 at Georgia Tech is not like awful, mm-hmm. but also like you're you have that top 25 class or that 25th class right now, not even in the program. And your last two classes before that were 48th and let's see, 20 something, 27th, something like that. 
or no, sorry, if you go back, yeah. So 48th and then like 30th and then there's like a 50 in there. So it's like just the level of talent that these two programs is not comparable right now. Yeah. And also Georgia Tech's not playing very well. And I think, yeah, you're right. A lot of that is, I don't know if they have fully washed the 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 option out of that offense. And, you know, the thing about option-based teams, triple option-based teams, is that you can have offensive linemen who weigh like 260 pounds or 240 pounds and it's not a big deal. And you can't if you don't play the option, right? And so... Yeah. I, I, I hate to sound nonchalant about this. I, I really don't mean to be, but like, um, yeah, we're going to beat the hell out of this team. <laughs> How much are we going to beat this team? Oh, yeah. we I didn't put a prediction thing down here. That's okay. Um, no, I was really just leading you into your second note about you said probably by four touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's going to... I don't know what the line is right now. I think it's like 40-something points right now. Yeah, last it? I checked it was 40 points. Which I don't is a lot we'll, of points. Uh, I don't know that we'll cover that, uh, but we we might. I mean, I, to me, this uh, this feels kind of like a forty something to seven kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's like we we and the seven is like because we have the third team in. Yeah, Jeff Sims is a squirrely court quarterback now. He's pretty good, but he gets hit a lot. Mm-hmm. He's gotten hit a lot. <laughs> playing teams that aren't Georgia's defense that don't have Georgia's yeah. defense. That's that is important to know. Let's actually I want to look at just how much this Georgia Tech defense gives up. ACC is not known for having like a depth of defense in its division, I will say. And I think that stands true as well with this Georgia Tech team. Uh, Jeff Sims is out here getting sacked. Actually not as bad as I thought it would be. He's only been sacked 11 times this year, which is a sack a game. Yeah, but he runs the he runs the ball a lot, yeah, and he or and he gets hit a lot on that. Mm-hmm. Thirty-five point under uh, thirty-five points. Okay, is so it's, the it's come back right a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. Uh, I think this <clears throat> game looks similar to this past weekend's game, which is good for us because, you know, this Alabama team that we're about to be playing in a week is going to have to play Auburn, which, you know, Auburn is not necessarily in a space anymore because of the Bo Nix injury to probably win that game, but those guys are going to hit a bit harder than this Georgia Tech team is. And I think that we're going to have the chance to rest some guys that still need some rest and get in a better situation for next week when, you know, things matter a bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the whole, that's the whole preview. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think what I want, want to see here, if we're, if we're talking about what do we want to see, let's keep the injuries to a minimum. Let's get into, let's stay in shape. Let's rotate guys a lot. Let's try to get Kendall Milton back into the fold Maybe we can get some snaps for Dominic Blaylock. Mm-hmm. Let's try to get some snaps for JT Daniels. Even if you're not going to start him in the SEC championship, you still want to have some snaps him. for him. Right. So other than that, like, let's have a good day in Atlanta and get the hell out of here. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I hate to be reductive, but it's just like we're, I it's think true, we're going to get the shit out of this team. Yeah. Let's just move. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. Let's get through this weekend with little to no consequences and, you know, look forward to the following weekend. It's really the big thing. Uh, this is also a great point in the show for me to say that there is we're going to actually cut away for a moment before we go into our Ask CBC segment so that you can hear from uh, we have a friend of the show, a friend of the pod, Ross Rutledge, who's going to talk a little bit about the statistical model that we've been putting together. I say we I have no uh, actual input in this whatsoever. This is all uh, Ross and a small team of listeners and people that know way more than Nathan and I. Nathan has been involved in some of those talks, of course, but uh, Ross will tell you all about CBCR2 
and how we got there in this next yeah, segment. Our per- Proprietary information and stats. We are uh, joined here today by our friend, who you may have heard from before on Twitter. If you're on Twitter at all and follow us on there, you, our friend Ross Rutledge, who is the the founder, proprietor, the prospector, the museum curator of CBCR Squared, the actual stats nerd, the person who probably should have made this podcast, but we got there first. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be talking to us a little bit about the the methodology, what it is, the model, why it is, you know, how it is. And tell you a lot more about it than we ever could. Uh, it's pretty yeah. important, I would say. And uh, that's that's kind well, of yeah where we can get started, I guess. Can I can I give you some just some brief background for how we sort of got to where we are, and then I want to hand it over to Ross on the the more uh, the, the 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 parts of these questions that only a smart person can answer. So uh, Ross contacted me about doing some sort of. I think we were originally messing around with um, like your like just very basic SRS stuff uh, that we were doing in an Excel spreadsheet and we were all updating it remotely. Uh, and I was on board and knew exactly what was happening. And then at some point, Ross got we got two or three other people involved, all of which were smarter than me. And now I'm on the private chat and they are they say words and I say yes. And then I put <laughs> on the Twitter what they asked me to put on the Twitter. And now here we are. Yeah. So, so, so that's uh, yeah. First of all, that's. <laughs> uh, thank thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here and to talk more about stats and VCR too. I think my my recollection is that uh, R two grew out of an attempt to opponent adjust EPA. And, yes. Yeah. So I started researching that. And struck out a few times, and then uh, took some some cracks at it that were, in hindsight, quite poor. Uh, then, after a, 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 an extended period of time, I kind of gave up on just trying to opponent adjust EPA, and just went straight towards developing a, a model that actually predicted actual results rather than uh, a descriptive statistic like like expected points added. Um, and, and, Everything sort of grew from there. It started from something that was very simple and basic, uh, and has grown into something that is quite rigorous and good. Um, so, but well, that, that's well, how everything developed in my in my memory. So let's talk about uh, where we are in terms of CBCR. So let me just Nathan. Before you get too deep into it, I would love to actually. Yeah. Um, ask ross why who we didn't actually introduce ross other than this is a person that exists but i would love to know before we get too deep into stats um who you are how you came to find i guess chapel bell curve and why is it that you are credible based on just kind of what you do in your day job i guess you know why why is it that you would know stats in the first place right okay so i have a um I, i'm actually an undergraduate I have an undergraduate degree in history uh, from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And I went on to UGA to get my master's in public administration. And policy. <clears throat> That's where I was first introduced to uh, stats. Um, 
and uh, rigorous uh, linear models, which uh, CBCR2 is. Uh, and from there, I went on to a career in DC, and I, I still am doing that. While working in DC, I uh, got my second master's degree from Johns Hopkins uh, in applied economics, where I, I built on the stats backgrounds and just actually fundamental math backgrounds uh, that, I, that I'd already built up from my job and from from um, uh, from UGA, from getting my master's in public policy and administration uh, from there. Uh, and so well, I'm a, an economist uh, by training, and I, I work in a, a similar capacity in D.C. Uh, as, as an advisor, uh, not necessarily a, as an economist. I work on this type of stuff on a day-to-day basis, that is, by, the, by this type of stuff, I mean, uh, statistical modeling and economic modeling. But I, I don't actually do the uh, programming myself. Um, that's, that's handled by other people. Um, so this has been a refresher course. It's been good for me to uh, dust off the programming skills that I've uh, learned in my uh, two degrees at Georgia and at Johns Hopkins. Uh, and it's, it's been a good refresher. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, Nathan, hit him with a question. All right. So let's back up from the, like, let's just start at the 10,000 foot view of like what we're trying to do with CBCR and with Ted and with all of this. Uh, so as you said, and I'll, and I'll start and then I'll let you sort of just like, Go wherever you want with it. This is a model, right? It's predictive metric. So we're trying to predict the results of games, like how teams would score against each other. Um, and we are currently, I think, running two different models, if I'm correct. Um, so can you sort of like give us some just like 10,000 foot view context for what we're trying to do here and what are the general statistical uh, tools that we're using to achieve it? So I... In my view, the model isn't just about predicting the outcomes of games or trying to beat uh, Vegas or anything like that. As an economist, I'm actually skeptical that any statistical model alone uh, would have sufficient information to beat Vegas on a, uh, at least on an annual year by year consistent basis, because Vegas can incorporate more information through the use of betting markets, and we're not going to simulate a betting market. That's not that's not going to happen here. What I I've always interested, I've always known how these models work, and always been fascinated by them. I've always wanted to build one myself, actually, and I've, I've tried path before in CBCR two, and uh, that was that turned out to be a not not great, but um, so. The, why I've always been interested in it is, I, and I, I think I've heard someone, maybe it was one of you guys or maybe a, uh, another podcast that someone say to cope with their anxiety, they try to consume information. So if I'm, if I'm worried about the outcome of a Georgia game, I always go to the stats and try to find some way to believe that we're going to have a chance against Bama in 2018 or LSU 2019 or anything Yikes. like that. <laughs> so I've always been interested in this type of modeling. I think I think it's uh, besides the actual Vegas 
point spread, uh, these types of things like ESPN, FBI, and SG Plus have always been more informative than really any other types of information that you consume uh, to tell you what how your team stands up against other teams and how likely your team is to have a successful season and things like that. So I, to me, it's it's more than just predicting outcomes, but it also predicts outcomes. And mm-hmm. you could argue that if you want to build something that's going to tell you how well your team is going to do throughout the season, then you should also be able to predict how they're going to do uh, in the games that they play. So, yeah, that's the... the uh, first part of your question, and then I think the, the second part of your question is what actually is it? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Kit, let, let me pause you right there. So uh, let, let's talk about it in a re- in relationship to other, you know, um, metrics that our listeners might be more familiar with. So like, and I, and I want to apologize to everyone listening for the horrible state of my voice right now. Um, so how, do, how does what we're doing here differ from something like SP plus and the five factors or FPI, et cetera? So I imagine that it's sort of a combination of the two of those things. I don't have access to what's under the hood at uh, SP plus or ESP FPI, um, but our model should be using the same information that they're using. Um, in fact, it should be using a combination of the information that those two, two models use. As, as far as I know, ESPN FBI um, has uh, at least two things going for it. It has it uses expected points added. It uses uh, the simple rating system to make sure that, or, or to opponent adjust, essentially, um, the, uh, the, the expected points added stats that they've developed. Um, and I imagine that it includes other variables, but as you have noted in the past, actually, in our chats, it's it's hard to find out exactly what's under the hood at FPI. Um, I think our model might better compare it to SP+. So, Bill Connolly has the five factors, right? They are success rates, explosiveness, field position, um, and product, right? Did I name all five uh, of them? No, it's point per, points per opportunity or finishing drives. It, points per opportunity is the last one. Drive. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so our model has all of those things. And I think he actually calls success rates an efficiency variable. And what I think our model does is, is it actually updates and represents an improvement on how the model efficiency. And by that, I mean we take into account uh, success rates, but we also include expected points added, like, like FBI does. Uh, and we also include a variable that we sort of create ourselves. You know, it's possible other people have, it's not a complicated metric, uh, and it's possible other people have included in their, in their models, but we also include, uh, opportunity rate or the percentage of a team's drives that end up, uh, in the red zone with an opportunity score. Uh, so those two things combined mean that I think we have a more robust, uh, uh, picture in our model of how a team, uh, how efficient a team is at advancing the ball down the field and getting your team in position to score. And which turns out to be in our modeling pretty much the most important thing in, uh, in developing a, ma- a, a system like this is to make sure that you have a good measure of how effective 
a team is at scoring in the in the red zone um, and converting their opportunities to points, or you know, for your defensive equation, preventing a team from scoring uh, once they get down to the red zone, which is what Georgia is absolutely not so good at. Yeah. So where, like, where, what's the state? Of, well, I know this, so this is a very leading question. So what's the state of our <laughs> model? Like, how have we been doing? What it, What is our first run through a college football season looking like right now? So in terms of our predictions. The current state of the model is good, I'll say. Um, we're actually retiring both the, the active versions of CBCR2 and CBCTAD um, because we've developed our own internal... Uh, simple rating system, which is turning out to pre- at least uh, to predict better. It predicted better last week, and it certainly retrodicts better. Uh, so, but the model that we're retiring, the models that we're retiring, were 151 and 73 straight up because of CBCR2, 116 to 108 against the spread, with an absolute error of 12.87, and that's over four weeks. So that's very good, particularly that that absolute error. Um, and then CBC Ted is 158 and 66 straight up, and 13 and 11 against the spread with a 13.18 uh, absolute error, which is also really good. These, these numbers are competitive with SP Plus and ESPN FBI and things like that. Yeah, and just to be, just to be clear, to to editorialize slightly, uh, absolute error is the total number of points off of the actual score that our predicted score is. Correct. Sorry. Uh, yeah, absolute error is, let's say, we predicted a team to win by 7, and instead they won by 11. Uh, we missed by 4 points. So our absolute error there is 4. Um, and so the absolute error is the average of the error, the, the miss that you have uh, in every game. And the reason it's called absolute is it's absolute value. So the values right. can cancel out. Right. Right. Cool. All right. Well, um, I want to get into our little charity bet thing that we have going on, but what are we, and I, I, I'm kind of throwing this to you off the cuff and I've, I know we've kind of talked about this in our DMS, but like, what do you see the future of us? Like, what do you think we're going to be doing with this over the next season? And what, what's sort of your vision for how this is going to go look going forward? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think what I'd like to do next year is, have a spot where we can publish it online. Uh, hopefully, we've, I can build a program where I hit a button. Uh, it runs the model, and then it makes the picks, and then it publishes those picks to a blog or something like that uh, to minimize the amount of labor on my end and other people who might be uh, helping or working on it. Um, and uh, then hopefully, we can get it on the prediction tracker for the Matthew Index and uh, really get it uh, popularized and see if we can, how we how we actually fare against these more seasoned models that have been around for a longer period of time. Well, I'm glad you said that because we definitely are going to need to talk off camera because I have some ideas on the publishing thing. And but, Ross, very a question for you too is, okay. is there like a, is there an accuracy goal you're searching for or like uh-huh. a, a point at which you're like, yep, this is it. We've done it. We came and we, we understood the assignment. We did the thing. That is a good question. I should set goals. Um, other than <laughs> be as good as possible. <laughs> I, obviously, you want to you want to be over 70% at picking straight up. 
I think you want to hit 55% against the spread, even though that is a very difficult challenge. I, the main thing I want to do is minimize uh, the absolute error. I want to be as accurate as possible. Uh, so I, I, I would sacrifice the other two goals to, to meet that goal. So I, I guess I should shoot for under 12.5. I think that's a modest goal for at least something this new. Cool. Yeah, just curious for for folks that might be looking, you know, it's always good to have a, like a good reference point. I think it's always really surprising when people hear that, you know, like 60% is a good, uh, you know, success rate for some of these models out there. Like that is really, really great winning that much uh, or winning being correct that often, I think is, you know, is a good point to, to understand for for folks that might not be in the world of like sports betting or just statistical right. analysis and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let's let's finish up here. I, I I know that we have come up with like a pretty cool little charity opportunity. Do you want to like sort of sh- uh, share what's going on with that and what we've been doing with the guys over it from the Rumble seat and all that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I approached uh, Robert Binion, uh, who runs, as you said, a, a column um, at I think it's SB Nation, as you said. And he publishes a, a similar model to ours called the Binion Index that's doing pretty well. He doesn't publish his results uh, straight up, but he said he claims that he's doing almost 55% against the spread, but he has a higher absolute error than we do. Uh, so I, I propose a challenge. Uh, it's four parts. Uh, one point for uh, straight up one loss, one point against the spread, uh, one point for uh, having the lowest uh, absolute error, and then one point for getting closest to the pen on uh, the absolute error on the Georgia game. So whoever gets closest to predicting the Georgia Georgia Tech game right uh, gets the last one. Um, so we're doing it for charity. I am competing for innovations for action. It's a great nonprofit that works uh, throughout the world or throughout the developing world where uh, they use uh, rigorous analytical methods, specifically randomized control trials, to evaluate the impacts of proposed uh, uh, policy innovations or policy interventions to help people. And uh, they then, if they discover through their their studying that the program works, then they start to scale it up throughout the world. Um, and uh, Robert is, is, is uh, competing for the, uh, I'm actually, I'm blanking on this. I'll have to look it up. In competing for something like the International Rescue Committee. I think that's what it is. Um, so, uh, the wager is between us. It's $100 between, for, you know, that I'm staking and that he's staking. But we also agreed that we would encourage people to check out those two, two, two charities. And if you feel so called to, to make contributions yourself. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, I think we're going to try to get this up on SB, the SB Nation blogs as well. Uh, yeah. So, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, you want to give us your Twitter account? Anything else that people need to be looking at you for? There. Sure. Before well, we get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I put obviously post on the Chapel Bell Curve uh, account often. I put up our our ratings, and we focus on some uh, picks every year, every week. And then uh, I I talk about the model of. A little bit less frequently, but I also uh, talk about it at, at Dog Quant. 
Sweet. So, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for coming on. Do you have any yeah. other, other questions for him there, Justin? No, thanks for, thanks for doing this, Ross. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on again before the season's over. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having this guy. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a uh, treat. Wow. So, so great to hear from Ross. <laughs> Wow, I can't believe that went so well. We spent all that time doing wow. that, didn't we? Ross is really cool. What a great <laughs> conversation you we all just listened to. Wow, like, we all right? did that together, right? That was all we of us. We all did that right now. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. Um, movie magic. Ain't it fun? Now let's get to our favorite segment of the show. You know the one. It's the one that's uh, called Ask CBC. You know, people can send us in some questions. We answer those questions. They get them to us through a method that could be social media. They could get it to us through Gmail. They could get it to us through just asking Nathan or myself the question. And you could hear it on the show during this segment. Talking is apparently difficult. And I have gone into mm-hmm. a strange <laughs> a strange way of speaking uh, for the rest of the show. I, I'm not I'm not a speech therapist, but I think I just have to like let you get it out of your just sort I think of get it out of your system. I'm having a stroke. Could somebody mm-hmm. Call the ambulance. Anyway, first question comes from Christy in London. Boom. Which of the Georgia mm-hmm. roster, present or recent past, most give you, you, Nathan, you, the impression that you could see them coaching at a high level in, say, 2045? 2045 is 24 years from now. Who's going to be in their mid-40s coaching? I think that – I think Jordan Davis is a really smart guy. I could see him – I mean, I think he's going to play in the NFL, but I think he's would be a really good coach. Uh I think that I, I I also think there's some like sneaky names that you wouldn't think of. Like um, I think Justin Scott Wesley could really coach. He's a weird guy, but he's like super cerebral, super smart. I think that, I mean, the obvious answer I think is Jake Fromm, who I think would be a pretty good quarterbacks coach, like good quarterback has the right sort of background and name and lineage. And I mean, I think he, he's would probably be pretty good at it. Uh, it's always someone you don't expect. A lot of times it's like inside linebackers. Like I know Christian Robinson went on to be a pretty good coach at Florida. Uh, I mean, I could definitely see someone like, um, oh gosh, Monty Rice, I actually think could do it oh, too. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think Fromm is probably the odds on favorite. Okay. Hey, can, can I just I like pause that. this? Can we, can we talk about Christy in London real quick about the experience that we had with him earlier yeah, today? Absolutely. Chris, we were both sitting here prepping our production uh, uh, in our Discord chat with no one there, and then all of a sudden, like like a beautiful uh, English, uh, I don't, I'm not going to try to identify what type of English accent it was, but a beautiful <laughs> English accented voice descended on us from the heavens, like he was like Henry the Fourth, yeah, like a wee brave few just out of nowhere saying hello to us, and I thought we were being pranked. But no, it was Christy in London, who has a beautiful, rich English accent. And I don't know why. I just assumed that he sounded like the rest of our dumb yokel asses. But he doesn't. And it just makes me feel like this whole server is so much more refined. All right. Next question. Christy in London also asks, I enjoyed your list of five most hated SEC teams. So what are your five most hated out-of-conference teams? And what specifically do you hate about them? Hmm. Hmm. Well, Clemson for me is number one. I just got to say off off the dome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hate Clemson. Mm-hmm. Hate them. Don't like them at all. Also, don't like Ohio State. Don't like them. 
Never have, never will. Mm-hmm. Who else you got? Uh, yeah, so Clemson would be on my list because I think they're a little bit Auburn for me. A little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit too, a uh, little too like Bible study, but not in the cool way. Bible study, not in a like, wow, this really changed my life, and I really made some like transformative thoughts about ethics and morality. Bible study, but like, wow, these people are awful and own a, a very big home in a country club Bible study mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I also am not a huge Ohio State fan based on the interactions I've had with their fans. They tend to be real fighty, which I respect on the one hand, but it's like a weird kind of Midwestern tan fighty. Yeah, well, it's also just like their tan. Like their tans are their tans are really bad and their hair is bad and they're all gelled up. And it's like every Ohio State fan is like has too much of a tan and their face is like really tight. Like they've everything's like real pulled back. You it's know? like the it's like it's like the UF when of you the get Midwest. Your, yeah, when you get your ass kicked by a bunch of LSU fans, you at least know it's gonna be like sloppy and smell like bourbon or whatever, and it's like, yeah, that's like home to me. You know, like I, I know what that is. And this is like this is like it just looks like a uh, getting in a fight with a Ohio State fan is like watching a Jamba Juice have sex with a sunglass hut. It's like it's like what what the <laughs> hell are we? It's like a it's like a mall from the early two thousands that shut down and turned into a fan. At um, least we got pretzels, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, also, let me see. Notre Dame. Man, I got so hate much Notre hate Dame. for the SEC. I I'm indifferent about Notre Dame. They were really I hate nice. Notre, Dame. Notre Dame's band was really nice to us when we went to Notre Dame. That's fine. Uh, let's see. I don't really have a lot of the hate outside of the SEC. I'm not a huge um I'm trying to think about it. I'm not like a super huge Texas guy. Uh man, do I hate Georgia Tech. Just thinking back about that. Man, let me just walk walk back around. Georgia Tech's number one with a bullet. And then Clemson. And then, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like not not real big on Michigan State either. We played their we played them in the Capital One Bowl. And that wasn't a huge, that wasn't like a super great experience. Uh, not a huge UCF guy either. But I don't know. Like I just hate everyone around us so much that I don't have time for anybody else. We'll throw Liberty in there too, just for good measure. Oh oh shit. Okay yeah yeah. Liberty Wichita State. Those two for just purely like like philosophical reasons. Oh yeah, just petty religious reasons yeah it's kind of like how you can like you know i can tell you my brother is a dumbass because it's my brother it's one of those situations like i'm allowed to (laughs) Uh, yeah because i was raised that way uh yeah last question question from chris d it oh suppose the rumors that jeff collins has been preparing tech to play us rather than their next opponent all season happen to be true how much difference would that make could it turn us from a five touchdown favorite to a one touchdown favorite i do not think that is the case no. no, and I don't think it would make a huge difference. But also, if that's the case, he should get freaking fired. Mm-hmm. If this is the only game he was looking to win. Yeah, that'd be real bad. Yeah. Uh, K Sarge, Kyle Sargent asks: This is a fun one for you. Are the newer Timothy Zahn Thrawn books worth reading? Do they hold up to his previous EU works? This is a Star Wars question, y'all. <clears throat> um, I, I think they're good. I don't know that they're as weird as the first three were. They're good. They're well written. Timothy Zahn's a very, very like technically good author. Like he really can write a sentence, and that's not faint praise. Like a lot of authors can't. Uh, but they don't have the element of just like hold on. So this guy has blue skin, but he he may be an alien or maybe he's like genetically modified. But oh, he's an alien. 
And he just came out of nowhere. And it's just like the first Timothy Zahn novels are just so wacky. <laughs> and they kind of like integrated it back into the actual canon of the universe, which I understand they had to do, but made it a little bit more boring for me. But I would say read them. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Read the book about the blue man. Broboma. Broboma. I like saying it as many different ways as we can. Asks, whose house do we vandalize for Bronk not making it? That's uh, Brock Bowers not making it to the uh, the best tight end. Uh, the semifinalist award yeah. for the for the, the semifinalist for the, the Mackey award, which goes to the best tight end. I don't I think we have to vandalize to. anybody's house. Someone someone suggested vandalizing the Nissan Heisman house, and that sounds great <laughs> to me. But we should be like embarrassing people because like he should have been. He's he's one of the top three tight ends in the. I'm nation. confused right. why he didn't make it. Yeah, what is the like? What is the criteria yeah. that he didn't check off this list? Eric Russell asks, yeah, can know. you rank your personal hate for Tech, Auburn, and Florida? I, When I first read this question, I thought something deeply brutal. And I did not think it with malice in my heart. I just thought this. And, like, I don't know that I've ever been this mean to a rival before unintentionally. Like, I almost feel bad about it. Like, the first thing I thought was, well, it's obviously Florida. And then there's a little gap. And then it's Auburn. And then there's a huge gap, and then it's Georgia Tech. Because I don't really hate Georgia Tech or Georgia Tech fans. Like, the first f- football games, college football games I ever went to I were at Grant State at Bobby Dodd Field. Um, and, like, I was never a Tech fan, but I just went to a bunch of Tech games because we had a family friend that was a Tech fan. But I guess, like, you know, I've had some bad experiences with Tech fans. And they can, you know, Tech fans, when they beat Georgia, they get, like, way out their ass, you know. But anything, if anything, I have kind of like empathy for them because it's like, I remember a time in my life where I like had this big part of my life that I had a lot of insecurities about and I would do like anything, anything for people to think that I was cooler than I actually was. And I was trying so hard, so hard to be a person that I wasn't. And like, that's just like a really stressful sad way to live your life Mm -hmm. and so like when i see a tech fan talk shit i'm not even angry i just see like a grim reflection of like who i was at 17 (laughs) and i'm just sad for him you know Mm -hmm. i'm not even like i don't even have any hate for him i'm just like man it's exhausting sounds like i'm sorry that things turned out for you the way that they did that now you're sitting here yelling at me down 45 to nothing like that. That must suck that now you have to experience this. And like, for me, I needed to like mature and be in a relationship with someone who would validate my strengths and call me on my weaknesses. (laughs) But I don't know what the answer for tech fans is like be a basketball fan. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, there's that whole, like, uh, don't, you know, I, I the whole like meme of I don't think about you at all, like the, mm-hmm. the like Mad Men meme for Georgia Tech. And it's like, I guess that's true. Like, I don't really think about the tech game when, unless we're playing them. But it's not that like I think they're insignificant. Like, I enjoy beating that ass, but it's just like, y'all, it's just sad, man. Get a it's hobby just sad at this point. Well, like, just like Sit show down. some life. Say, it's not, do you think it's fun for us? Like, yeah, it's fun when that we're going to go, we're going to, we, when we win 45 to nothing. And yeah, I enjoy sort of psych, sucking the life out of their stupid B suit, uh, uh, 
student <laughs> section, but it's like it's the same story every time, y'all. Like the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry, it's been like the it's the same episode of Dragon Ball Z, and it's been we've been on the same fight for a whole season, y'all. Can you start <laughs> recruiting or something? Can you show some life? Like, what are we doing here, guys? This is a team that Georgia Tech once ruined their whole season. They threw they had a fake offense they were running the whole year in the nineteen hundreds, and they threw it out and then they had a separate offense just for Georgia, just to beat Georgia. That was what Georgia Tech did. Georgia Tech would drop like eighty on Georgia in the eighteen hundreds and the nineteen hundreds just because they could and they yeah. just hated us. But I respect that. I respect the pissiness. Like, where's the Steve Spurrier? Like, yeah, sure. I you know, there's part of me that wishes that we could just like make all our rivals like turn their uh, turn their stadiums into giant outdoor community gardens. And like, yeah, I guess that that would be great if you detected it. But if we're going to start playing this, we're going to start, keep, you know, if we're going to keep playing this game. Like you have to stop being Vegeta. Like you have to represent an actual threat right now. We're just like yelling at each other. And then we're Goku and we just like hit you once. And it's like, oh, well that was kind of anticlimactic. We just did 10 episodes on this stupid arc. And it was just like yelling, like show a pulse Christ on the cross. Y'all. <laughs> All right. All right. That's all I got. <laughs> we we do have some questions coming in from our friend Yara. Uh, Yara's Rage Against the Machine. And Yara has really, truly made this into an art form, I got to say. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen these, check them out on our Twitter. We'll post the, uh, the, the beautiful notes that Yara has taken and sent them in. Uh, what I can say this has become, and I really love it, this is... Watching Yara become a UGA, like a, a a Georgia fan in real time. Yara is a red coat, but um, also learning to love parts of football that are lovable, I guess. Which all, there are many lovable parts of football, but Yara is finding them on their own time. And I have enjoyed this journey, and I hope you have as well. So I'm gonna hop can to we, these questions. Can we like and move? Can we can we up upload these this PDF as images? Because Yara's first attempt at this was. Definitely, I could tell like a rough draft, and it mm -hmm. they have like turned this into a real art form, truly an art form. Yes, and everyone deserves to see what what beautiful <laughs> art this is. Yara, you're on this call, so if you want to put this up as an image, we will retreat it because it is gorgeous, my dear. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It is gorgeous. All right, it let's do much. it. Okay, so first question, man, I am still in disbelief over how awesome Saturday was. Describe your game day in three words. Go. Uh, I'm going to steal their words, which would be Davis for Heisman or yes. JD2NYC, if you prefer the abbreviated version. <laughs> uh, Yara also adds, I love fellow Redcoat and our running back, Jordan Davis. Um, that's not how Yara sounds, but for the sake of this, it is right now. Yeah. Number two, speaking of Heisman, who is this dude? Why does he have a fancy trophy named after him? And do you think Jordan Davis is really going to win it? I really want him to, but I read that since he is not really an offensive slash scoring dude, his chances aren't that high. He did score the sexy rushing touchdown, though. So I am confusion. So I don't know. I don't. He, he's probably not going to win it. I, I know who Heisman is. You, uh, you don't have to look it up. I'm going to look um, it up. John Heisman. He's probably of course, not going to win. John Heisman is a name I would make up to say. That's what John Heisman was a very famous coach. He was uh, a revolutionary coach in college football. He sort of he didn't invent modern offenses, but he was one of the guys who was like the forward pass, that kind of thing. And they were like, he was a college football coach that? at a bunch of places. You know, there was a time where there were like six college football coaches, and they all just like 
coached everywhere, but he was mm-hmm. at he was the coach at Oberlin, Bucktill, uh, Oberlin again, Auburn, Clemson, Georgia Tech for a good fifteen years. That's where he spent a lot of his career was at Georgia Tech. Uh, hi, there's a bunch of stuff named Heisman at Georgia Tech. Uh, Penn for a couple of years, Washington and Jefferson, which is now Washington and Lee, and then Rice. He was also Georgia Tech's basketball coach, and then from 1908 to 1909 and 1912 to 1914, uh, he's he was really important to the to the, to the sport, um, yeah, and he was just like really famous uh, for being really innovative in the game of football. I mean, he was a white guy in the 1900s. I assume he was kind of a racist. I don't know. Oh, Washington and Jefferson are different schools than Washington and Lee. Sorry. Um, that well, no, I want to correct that. Uh, I played Washington Lee and Lee's fight song as a high school student, so you know, hmm. gotta gotta respect it. But Heisman was one of those guys that, like, if you read any book about the history of the sport, Heisman was one of those dudes who just like a lot of things that we take for granted, like just the way the game is played and like uh, the evolution of the rules and like how the four pass works and what 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 you're allowed to do on the line and off the line and how huddles work and how like the flow of the game works and how coaching works. Like he was just really instrumental in like establishing a lot of that stuff. He was coaching in the 1900s, right? When it uh-huh. was, it was barely a game. Uh, Props so. to Heisman is all Nathan's trying to say. Question three. Yeah, I mean, LOL. You know, I, I hate him because he coached at Georgia Tech, but yeah, sure. <laughs> Over a hundred years ago. I think, you know, is there a statute of limitations for my hate? No, but no, <clears throat> We can have some flexible time, I guess. LOL, bye, Dan Mullen. Yeah. Did we break Florida? And who do you think will be the next coach? Uh, I think probably Billy Napier, which would suck hmm. because he's a really good coach. He's a real saving tie. I really hope LSU gets Billy Napier and not Florida because I think Billy Napier is kind of a slam dunk hire. And um, I would worry long term about having to plague him every year because I think he's a good recruiter too. I don't know if he's Kirby Smart good, but... Yeah, he's a good. He's a good coach, uh, but yeah, I think we did break him. But I think it, I, I heard there there are rumors that he's already in contract tra- contract talks with Florida. Although I know that LSU is also going after him as well. Hmm. I really like this next question. Okay, I may go tailgate the Georgia Georgia Tech game with my friend. The closest I have ever come to tailgating was eating wings with my younger brother in my dad's suite before a Michigan versus Michigan State game when I was like ten. First, what is what exactly is tailgating? How do I tailgate good well? Good slash well. How do I sound at least a little smart at the tailgate? It's with Redcoat Sachs alumni. I have really never tell- tailgated that much before. I mean, tailgating is um, what you want it to be. Essentially, you tailgated in that room however many years ago eating wings with your family. <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah. I, I think the key to tailgating is, you know, it's going to be in the morning so you have to regulate your energy output. It's mm-hmm. been my experience, right? Right. So you don't want to eat too much. You don't want to drink too much, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic. If you're not 21, don't drink. Let me officially say that's my my stance. But if you were to be drink because you were 21 and of age, I would I'd say, say yeah. you know, you want to be careful that you are uh, sparingly, right? You sort of want to be, you want to do what I would call like plateau drinking, where you're just kind of nursing one uh, over like an hour, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And just like get 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 yourself up on the plateau, and it's like being on a skateboard. You just kind of kick off of it a couple of times. But yeah, also you know, be polite, be nice to everybody you see, have a good time. You know, you're if you're on Georgia Tech's campus, don't talk too much shit. 
right? Like Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech fans hate Georgia fans, and some of the reasons they hate Georgia fans are earned. So don't don't make it worse. It's true. Yeah, tailgating is what you make it, but be sweet. Also, if you're asking whether it's good or well, it's well because well describes a verb. And you're using tailgate as a verb. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, SEC Championship versus Alabama. What do I need to know? I can already feel the hatred towards five foot seven devil Nicholas Saban coursing through my veins, but need to know why. Uh, so ride that wave. Uh, yeah. So obviously, you could just hate them. I, I'm not sure if they're asking why should we hate Alabama or what sh- do I need to know about Alabama. I so I guess both. So why should you hate them? Well. UJ fans have gotten hurt by Alabama a lot. <clears throat> and Alabama has had <laughs> some pretty remarkable con- uh, comebacks against us and broke our heart in national championships and in SEC championships and recruiting. And just they are the obstacle. They're the funnel boss. This year, they are pretty good on offense. They're very good on offense. They have a lot of skill position talent. They have a very good uh, quarterback in Bryce Young. But they're just okay on defense. They've just sort of an average defense. In the past, uh, Bama really had both. Uh, they were get you the team that can do both. That was them. Uh, so they're a little more vulnerable this year, but they are and will be until we beat them. The final boss for Georgia forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Until we if until we cannot take the next step that we need to take until we beat them, and we haven't done it. We haven't beat them since two thousand seven. I was there as a student, a sophomore in college, the last time we beat Alabama, and you know that I am like eighty five. So that's really it's been a while. This man is literally so old. Okay. Great news. Mm-hmm. My sister, a freshman in high school, is the starting kicker for my alma mater's varsity football team. How do I sound smart while supporting her at a football game? Yeah, I will give you the same advice that I have. A, uh, my friend Peter has never watched a football game and is very proud of never having watched a football game. <laughs> He's not mean about it. He just doesn't know what's going on. And we had a we had a, a, a teacher that was a football coach that we worked with named Jeremy. He was a great guy. And Jeremy said... If you want to sound smart talking about a football game, you just go, man, the offensive line. <laughs> you don't identify whose offensive line or whether it's good or bad. You just say Ugh, the offensive line. Or, the offensive man, line. How about the offensive line? Because basically the game is won in the trenches every time. And at high school, at the high school level, it's really true. Like if, if one team can't block, that's the game. Now, if you want to talk about high school football, the two things you want to do are, man, the offensive line. And two, in high school football, oftentimes there's like a man child on the field who is like an obvious D1 recruit who is like, <clears throat> you know, like obviously going to, it's just like, you know, running, having ridiculous runs and throwing the ball 80 yards down the field. And, or if they're a wide receiver, they have like three touchdowns. And then you just got to be like, oh man, this kid, I wonder who's recruiting him. And then you're good. That's the that's it. That's the news. I, I, my suggestion is always, how about them boys, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just some open-ended questions. <laughs> but I really like your suggestion of the offensive line. Sounds smart. Thinking so much about bowl games, which one is better, cotton or orange? Who do you think we will face? And will my new fave bestie George Pickens be there? Also, do Redcoats get to pull a Florida since it's NYE? Uh, still mad at myself for being out of commission during Florida and want to make up for it. All right, so I'm not going to answer that last that last question on air. Yara, we can talk one-on-one. Uh, in order for the rest of the questions, cotton and orange are about the same. Um, the word better is subjective. It just depends on your situation, where you want to go. Um, 
you know, uh, either way, it tends to be pretty swanky for the football team or for the band. Like the, the, the playoff pays out. So it's usually a really nice hotel. Per diem is pretty good. Usually they send you somewhere like to do some kind of activity, like they send you an arcade or go-karts or whatever. <laughs> um, I think George Pickens will probably be there and play. Um, I think he's getting closer and closer. Uh, and I think we'll probably play some mixture of like Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Cincinnati, depending on how things work out. Did you answer the Orange Bowl or Orange or Cotton? Which one is actually better? Just it doesn't matter. I mean, it just depends on where you want to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, for 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 Yara, I think experientially, it's probably easier to drive. You're gonna have to drive to both of them in a truck. It's probably easier to drive to Dallas. Just because you don't have to switch lanes, you just get on twenty and you're just go on twenty basically the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's e- it's gonna be easier bus ride slash truck drive or whatever. Gotcha. I have concluded. I like Stetson Bennett more than JT Daniels. Do you think he will play in postseason even if JT is healthy again? I think he will because he just plays better than JT. Sorry. Yeah, I think he's the presumptive starter until he messes something up, something up. Mm-hmm. Boom. Can you hypothetically give me a beverage to try when I turn 21 and 100% not now? I smelled and 100% did not taste a low country sangria, and it was meh, too much wine in my hypothetical opinion. Also, I hate Pink Whitney. Um, yeah, let me see how if I can bounce what is a Pink this a little bit. A Pink Whitney is like flavored vodka. First off, don't get anything flavored. Let's no, start don't there. do that. Never do that. Yeah. I would Se- let's talk second, about it for ourselves. If it was our situation, yeah. what would we if drink? It was, okay, so here's here's the things. Here's what I would say. If I if I myself, Nathan, mm-hmm. am and it's the man in his thirties who is above twenty one is drinking. So this is just me. My here's my two strategies. One, if I'm going to a bar that is not like a bar with a really good bartender that wants to make drinks, I'm always going to order a two ingredient cocktail. Now, mm-hmm. that's going to vary for, for two to everybody. Three. Two to three. I mean, I'm going to order something that I know they can make and it's not going to be a pain in the ass. So, yeah. personally, like, my kind of go-to when I'm at, like, a dive bar is, like, ginger and whiskey with a lime. That's, like, I just like the lime and the ginger. And that's really hard to mess up. Even a bad bartender can make a ginger whiskey and lime. Like, pretty much anybody can do it. Um, you know, if I get like super crazy i mean uh, you could do a cuba libre right uh, there, there are a bunch of different options i so let's start there so if you're at a bar that is not a cocktail bar what is your move there uh for me yeah it's it's usually two or three <sighs> ingredients something like that don't go this is the secret it's kind of like when you go to the Publix and you get a pub sub and you can get the Publix brand deli meat and cheese or you can pay like a dollar more and get the boar's head same thing with bars you could order a drink and get the well and have a very generally okay time, but maybe a bad time. Or you can pay a dollar or two more and get something that's actually well-made and good. And I would yeah. uh, <clears throat> do that every time. Also, ask if the bartender looks like they're having a good time and they're not super busy. Ask them what they like. If you have a liquor in mind, don't ask them, like, make me your favorite. But say, I love blank. And ask them, yeah, of that blank... What is your favorite you have here? Yeah. Yeah. And so and so at a cocktail bar, it's a very similar thing. A lot of times if you go to a cocktail bar, again, for me personally, not for anyone who's under 21. No. At a cocktail bar, you usually it's a, 
not as many people. Usually they're not slammed. If they are slammed, you want to just order something off the menu. Order something that looks good. They've made it a thousand times. It's going to be good, right? Anything on most cocktail bar menus, like their, their drinks of the day, you're good to go. Because they're not going to put anything on there that hasn't been tasted and tested and to the nth degree that they can just make easily. Uh, if, if it's slow, and like you said, you have time, the key word I have found has been like, you want something that's like drinkable. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you say drinkable, what you're saying is I don't necessarily want to taste the alcohol. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Like the point of drinking and, and cocktails is not always to taste the actual alcohol. Now, if you were talking about in a for me, myself at home situation, uh, I think my experience when I turned 21 and could buy alcohol freely and legally was that. I had to sort of try a bunch of different things before I understood what I liked. So, um, and for anyone who would ask me, I would say that there are probably like, you know, five to 10 things you should try. You should try an old fashioned. You should try a martini. You should try, um, you know, like real good sangria. You should try, I don't know, like what else, what else are we thinking? Manhattan. Maybe. Those are the big things. Uh, I love a gin and tonic. Gin and tonic was like my first drink. A gin that I got and tonic. Into. Yeah, I love bitter drinks. Yeah, I love bitter food. Yeah. So, you, so I think just sort of trying some of like the staples. They're kind of staple drinks that you can order in any bar in America, right? Mm-hmm. Like an old fashioned is an old fashioned, and people have a bunch of different opinions about how to make an old fashioned. It's basically the same thing every time. A Moscow Mule, an old fashioned, a gin and tonic. Well, uh, let me say about know. old fashions though: do not get an old fashioned at anywhere other than a cocktail bar. Yes, because do do canned old fashions are horrible. Now, hey, I'll, I'll tell you one. If you want to get fancy and make yourself something, a drink that I like very much that is very easy to make uh, that I would – and this is for anyone, not just Yara, who is – I don't think 21, so don't do this, Yara. But <laughs> a drink that I very much like to make for myself that I've just gotten into recently, if you like whiskey but you want something that's not too whiskey forward, there are two drinks I've started making. One is a whiskey smash. It's like mm-hmm. three ingredients – um, it's sort of like a mint julep, but it's very good, very easy to make, and you will feel very fa- like a fancy boy when you drink it because it's a very fancy boy drink. The other is a Kentucky Buck. Kentucky Buck is sort of Lynchburg lemonade There's some strawberry in it. It's very sweet. Um, and those two, I think, are very good places to start for like things that are just drinkable, um, mm-hmm. hypothetically, if you were 21. Yeah. I mean, if you were telling me. That what I should if you were yeah if I if if Justin who knows way more about cocktails than me were asking that those would be two things I would say. Now, it's the final segment of the show. It's the James Beerfield Troll Corner. It's presented by Cheerwine. It's the wine that gives you diabetes. Tm tm tm. First question: Who is more upset about Dan Mullen being fired, his wife or the players that get to kiss his wife? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, um, can we answer this without getting in trouble? Probably not. Say it anyway. Fifty fifty. <laughs> 50-50. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Hey, what did James Cook cook when James cooking? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> just powerful, unproblematic short king injury. Or, injury? Or no, energy. Oh, hell. Not injury. You better knock on wood, my man. Nathan, do you think Kirby has already tried to recruit the ultra compact absolute unit that is number 40 of Charleston Southern linebacker? Almost certainly, yeah. 100%. <laughs> number four. Like bowling ball. Can I hear a poem for this historic win? Yeah, uh, I'm going to read the first couple of stanzas from a poem from a Swedish poet named Neil Nils Schoberg. 
couple of couple of hits with here. <laughs> Read me them lines, baby. Hit me and with I think this is originally meant to be. This is originally meant to be sung, so I don't want to throw anybody off. How many days did I spend thinking about how you did me wrong, wrong, wrong? Lived in the shade you were throwing until all my sunshine was gone, gone, gone. And I couldn't get away from you and my feelings more than Drake. So yeah, your name on my lips, tongue tied. R- free rent living in my mind. But then something happened one magical night. I forgot that you existed. And I thought it would kill me, but it didn't. And it was so nice, so peaceful and quiet. Mm-hmm. And I chose that poem because I forgot that Georgia Tech, we were playing Georgia Tech this year. <laughs> also, Neil Schoberg is Taylor Swift's like Swedish, like nom de plume that she used in some random Calvin Harris song. I love it. Number five. Does Paul Atreides actually want to stop the jihad? No, absolutely not. No, Seriously, not. read the absolutely books. Not. Yeah, he thinks he might, but no. He might say it outwardly, but he does not. No. Godworms for life. Why have you not answered my my hero question that you said you would ponder? I am not afraid to ask more anime questions, which we both know would plummet the show's ratings. We did answer the question. I felt like we did. Yeah, I thought we had. It's probably because James Beerfield does not actually listen to this show. Probably, yeah. If I had to guess, that's probably what it is. <laughs> number six, coming from number seven. I messed up the question number, so I had to make a new question. I was at the game Saturday, so why didn't you guys try to come see me? I'm sorry that we did not come and kiss the ring. You're right. Next yeah, time you gotta text. you gotta pay dues when dues yeah. come. I'm not gonna. Number eight. What have I done to Justin for him to hate me? I don't know what I've. <laughs> what have I done to no? Because you think said I hate that you. you said that Yara's segment was your favorite segment, and then someone called you out on it. I think I say every segment is our favorite segment. Just to be <laughs> fair, uh, I don't know if you know me or not, Mister Doctor, Mister James Fairfield, but I have these lovely rose tinted glasses, and everything is great. <laughs> I love you though, and if you want to be friends. We can be. It's up to you. Balls in your court. Come see me sometime. Come says, come kiss this ring, is what I say. That's the show. Do you want to see us out? <laughs> yeah. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast, including Spotify. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you want to support this podcast, we would love if you would give us a rating or review wherever you leave ratings or reviews. I think the best place to do it this weekend is probably somewhere in the varsity bathroom <laughs> it, or on Apple, on Apple podcast or Spotify or whatever. Um, if you really want to support the show, we would love if you would find us over at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve for as little as $1 a month. You can be part of a great community over at discord and we have different levels that often like different tiers that unlock different levels of rewards that we can give to you, including you can have your own segment on this show. So we will catch you in the North Avenue trade schools, a rector set of a poorly designed architectural nightmare this weekend. Mm. Uh, but until then, go, go dogs. dogs.